0: Hi everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Offsted Talks, the Offsted podcast. My name is Chris Jones, I'm Ofsted's Director of Strategy and Engagement and I've got with me Srina Kitecha, Offsted's Head of Strategy. Hello. Hi Shrini. Uh, We've got some great guests today to talk about uh, education in prisons. This is something that um, Ofsted have had a focus on over the last year or so. You might have heard a previous podcast we've done on on this subject, and we've also uh, written various reports uh, on the state of education in prisons, and it's a subject we keep coming back to because of how important it is. Um, We've got some great guests, as I say, Uh, I'll get them to introduce themselves. We've got, first of all, Charlie Taylor. Charlie, wouldn't you give us a uh, a bit about you?
1: Hi, I'm Charlie Taylor. I am Chief Inspector of Prisons, been in post since November 2020.
0: Excellent, thank you, Charlie. And from Ofsted, Paul Joyce.
1: Uh, Thanks,
2: Chris. Paul Joyce, uh, Ofsted's Deputy Director for Further Education and Skills,
0: where we inspect prisons as part of our remit. Thank you, Paul, welcome. We've got Femi Laye Adekami from the Prison Reform Trust.
3: And I work on the prisoner engagement
0: team Tracy from Keyring.
4: Hello, yes, I'm Tracy Hammond from Keyring. I'm Research and Innovation Director there, and as part of my work, I support people with lived experience of the criminal justice system and neurodivergence.
0: Excellent, thank you. So I think to get us started, Charlie, if you don't mind, if we could take the wide view of of the prison system at the moment, um, what what are the challenges facing the prison system? Where is it as a whole, uh, and and what's the what's the current kind of place of education in that? If you don't mind,
1: we we've been on a, a number of inspections recently, where our biggest concern has been the amount of time that prisoners are spending out of their cells, and as a result of that, the amount of time that they're actually getting to education, training, workshops, and um, what we're finding particularly is it's as if COVID is still going on in many of our prisons, whereby, for whatever reason, whether it's to do with difficulties with staffing, whether it's to do with the inexperience of staffing relationships with trade unions, or I think uh, the ambition of governors, but nevertheless, we are still finding prisoners a lot behind their door for far longer than we found before the pandemic, and that's affecting their progress in terms of the skills they need to be successful when they come out. So so that's our really our biggest concern. Actually, things like safety in prisons and some of the levels in violence that we've seen, particularly in the sort of 2015 to 2019 really dark days when the spy e- epidemic was happening. Actually, things have got a little bit better. Drugs are being kept out of prisons more effectively than they were. And as a result of that, we're seeing that there's less prisoners getting into debt and there are less of those sorts of issues and related violence. So. Prisons a little bit safer than they've been in the past, but very concerned about what prisoners are actually
0: doing with their time. So, how long are, are prisoners typically spending in their cells then, and how does that compare to w- what what should be the case?
1: Well, I'll give you a case in point of a prison that I inspected yesterday, where prisoners were getting out of their cells for just one and a half hours a day. That was in a local prison, where before, when we'd inspected it, I think they were getting out for around seven hours a day on average. Uh, That was a reception prison. But we also see this in category C prisons where prisoners can often be spending substantial periods of their lives there, two, three, four, five years. And in those jails where we would see workshops full of prisoners going out from uh, their wings, going off to work or, or to education we're seeing that much more restricted. Sometimes it's a regime that means they're only unlocked to go off the wing in the mornings or the afternoons. They call that a split regime. Sometimes it's people not getting off the
0: wings at all in, in, in some places. Um, and, and you said this is a bit of a kind of a COVID hangover.
1: That drive towards getting prisons back to where they were just simply hasn't happened in lots of places. But just one example of 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 the progress that can be made. I was in a jail last week where a really ambitious governor, has decided he's going to open up his Category C prison. There were 600 prisoners moving safely around the jail. The prison was, levels of violence hadn't gone up in any significant way, and it was still a safer jail than most in that category. And this was a prison that actually suffered from some severe staffing shortages as well. So it just shows with the right level of ambition from leaders and a real determination to get things going even in prisons that are struggling with staffing numbers they can produce a much more effective regime a really important example of that
0: excellent thanks and and we'll come on so we'll come on to education so charlie what's your what's your take on why education in prisons is so important why have, why have you taken such an interest in it
1: well i was a former special school head teacher so this has always been an area of particular interest for me and the way i see prisoners is is to some extent the way we used to see pupils at my school, which was that they were uh, like an unfinished jigsaw puzzle with parts missing. And the parts that were missing were the bits that were stopping them from making progress in a way that we might expect. So the parts missing might be difficulties with mental health. They might be difficulties with reading. It might be uh, neurodivergence. And the responsibility of both my school, but also of prisons is to find those pieces and to fit them into the jigsaw so that when someone leaves custody, they're more likely to be successful when they come out. That means if someone can't read when they come in, they need support with reading. If they want to go on and do a degree, they need support with doing a degree. If they wanna do a level two qualification, they wanna get some GCSEs, they should get support with that. But if those building blocks aren't in place, then the danger is people leave prison. they, They don't have any of the skills that they need in order to get jobs to rejoin society successfully Uh, and they lapse back into reoffending again. The the bottom line is, is that criminal gangs, criminal fraternities don't require you to have qualifications in order to join them. But in most work, that is required. So we need people who are more capable, more competent and more confident in in order to be able to take their place in society when they come out.
0: Yeah, and I'm seeing lots of nods from uh, from the rest of our guests. So I'm sure we'll pick up some of those themes uh, in in a, in a few minutes. Paul, I'll come to you for Ofsted's view. Charlie's uh, really eloquently explained why education in prisons is is so important, so you'd hope, wouldn't you, that education in prisons was being done brilliantly. That's something Ofsted inspects. Tell us what we find.
2: Uh, you'd certainly hope that was the case, Chris, and I was certainly nodding along with Charlie there We inspect alongside HMIP colleagues. Um, I recognize fully, you know, all of what Charlie said there. Sadly, Chris, what we find, many classrooms, many workshops are empty um, when they should be full because of the regime issues. Uh, There are not enough prisoners that attend um, education or meaningful work for long enough. And Chris, I think the key point for me and Charlie's just mentioned it, it's the it's the parts of the jigsaw. Often we've not identifying the right parts of the jigsaw or offering the right parts of the jigsaw uh, or indeed delivering the right parts of the jigsaw to to make that journey for prisoners complete to rehabilitate or prepare them for release. Prisons do not equip prisoners that can't read or can't read well, they don't do enough to improve that. And as Charlie said, it's a building block, uh, and it's a, an essential building block that uh, that that needs to be in place. That sadly, Chris just isn't there.
1: I think there are there are some sort of common themes that we see with with prisoners. These are often people who have. Uh, who have spent quite long periods of time out of education for whatever reason. Uh, We know there are high levels of exclusion from school, but also often prisoners have had very disrupted childhoods as well. So they may have been moved between uh, different family members. They they may have uh, many have been uh, have experienced the care system as well. So uh, uh, often often what we find is that that they simply haven't spent the days, the hours, in education in the past, So they've had a very a very patchy education career. So that often means that um, there are gaps that just haven't been filled because there are also some incredibly able and competent people who find themselves in prison as well. And what we have to make sure is, is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all education provision, but actually for th- there is provision in place for people who really want to go on and make progress. And I'll just give one example, if I may. I came across a, a a young guy, really ambitious young guy who, who, who'd ended up in prison, was was caught up in some gang activity and he took a GCSE when he was in a, a, a YOI and he got an A grade in it, maths GCSE, and he was pretty pleased about that. So he turned around to the uh, to the education provider and said, could I now go on and, and do maths A level, please? And they said, well, we haven't got anybody to teach you that, but you can do the GCSE again if you'd like what we, we find, um, sadly, is the
2: the curriculum offer in individual prisons is often not tailored sufficiently well for the population the prison serves. And I, I think
1: that's the key. I, I remember we were in a prison, and colleagues came back and they said, well, it's all very well, they're offering all these courses, but the courses are one-year-long courses and the average prisoner spends six weeks in this jail so the, the completion rate of the courses is almost zero uh, you know that that's not untypical from from what we hear from our colleagues when we when we go into inspections
5: thank you that's a really good example there and um some really good lessons to learn tracy i think we were hoping that you had the answers can you tell us what you think we should do
4: I can offer some suggestions. I think uh, from our point of view, we're still seeing people leaving prison um, without things like functional literacy. So the comprehension, even if they can read a little bit um, and also without life skills and social skills that they need to succeed in the community. So I think for me, when I look at people we support in particular, um, what do they need to succeed and therefore what does need to be taught? I suspect it's things like what it's like to really manage a tenancy, how to budget, running a home with all of that entails, things like looking after yourself, cooking, food, hygiene. Reading and understanding and responding to letters, things like social skills. I think also something that's really noteworthy is that a lot of people we speak to, particularly if they've come through special educational route, tend not to have had good access to a clear sex education and things like, you know, what a good relationship looks like. So I think for me, it's something that's really person centred, quite holistic. Really well communicated, but also something that gives people a vision. A lot of people who come into our support often come in without much idea of what their life could be, and therefore, if you can't see the future, I think you're much more likely to reoffend. If you can see a really good future for yourself and you you can map how to get there, um, I think you're much more likely not to reoffend. Brilliant. Thank you, Tracy. Femi, do you have
5: do you have anything you'd like to add on on that general topic of how we could be better?
3: There, there does need to be much more concerted focus on prison education and the delivery of it. If for, for people who are in prison, I've I've been in prison, not really knowing what's available to be undertaking in, in education is an immediate obstacle to getting into education. Uh, inductions need to be far better, and what's offered on the inductions also needs to be improved.
5: Femi, could you tell me a bit about what Prison Reform Trust does? To um, it does in this area in particular.
3: Um, yeah. So, in general, the Prison Reform Trust, as a policy and reform organisation, we, we wow. lobby uh, those in power, those who've got decision making powers, uh, to improve conditions within the prison, within prisons uh, across the country. And um, we often do this in the form of reports, research, consultations. Um, and that includes with prisoners themselves, as well as experts in different areas. so we're we're constantly working to to improve the prison system, constantly working to influence uh, ministers and the prison service to improve conditions within prisons, and that does include in the area of education.
5: Tracy, can you tell us a bit about uh, Keyring and what the organisation does in the round and specifically what the education focus
4: is? Keyring supports around about 1,500 people each year to live independently in the community. So we recognised around about 2006 that people who had been through the criminal justice system tended to do quite well in our services. So we started to think about why that might be and we concluded that it was mainly due to our outward looking uh, community connections approach so a lot of the things that we do when we're supporting people are not only about maintaining tenancy um, and making a bit of a step change to their ability to live independently but also about connecting with the community and for us that's part of that jigsaw part of that social skills part of enabling people to think about their gifts and talents and how they might share those so in terms of education, we would take a really broad approach. We're not um, a, a, an organisation that provides education, but what we do is we support people to find their own solutions.
0: Great. So some, one, of the, one of the issues we heard from Charlie in particular was, was simply about the amount of time available for for education you know it's it's a pretty obvious point isn't it that if the if the time's not available for education doesn't matter how brilliant the offer is it simply can't be can't be achieved femi from the prison reform trust point of view you know what what, what are we what are we collectively doing to try and in- increase the amount of time that's available for people outside of their cells and to do education
3: yeah we we definitely believe that time out of the cell is vastly important to the aims of rehabilitation. We have actually carried out some research on this. We we did this in conjunction with the Ministry of Justice and HMPPS, uh, talking to prisoners directly about the future regime, regime after coronavirus and lockdown. Um, and we had amazing feedback from prisoners um, where they, they, they spoke about some of the skills that have been mentioned already, things like being able to prepare food for themselves, Um, being able to interact with each other like a community, something that replicates what happens in the community. They also spoke about the difficulties of being in their cells for such extended periods of time, how it affected them, how it affected them mentally, affected their uh, interpersonal skills, um, and in an adverse, all of this in an adverse way. And of course, they just couldn't get out to, to go through education. And if you can't, get to an education course, how can it benefit you? Um, They were being given in-cell packs but these were often too simple or not as engaging as being in a classroom. Um, And so the prisoners themselves just said, you know, eventually even if I was interested in the course I just wasn't involved in in these packs, I wasn't doing them, I wasn't performing them.
0: Charlie, I'll come back to you then. You know, you, you've said we need more time out of ourselves and more time spent on education. It's clear that the prisoners want more time spent on education. It's clear what the benefits are. What, what's holding us back?
1: There are a couple of issues. I think in some parts of the country, there are some really dire staffing situations, So particularly in, in, in the southeast of England. So for example, prisons like Swaleside uh, on the Isle of Sheppey, uh, prisons like Woodhill um, on the M1 corridor, are some prisons that are really struggling with their staffing numbers um, and you know, and we recognise that and also with retention as well where where the the employment market still uh, remains fairly buoyant but but what this really comes down to is a real ambition and a real drive from prison leaders and, and the prison service itself to say look we've got to do more for prisoners we have a responsibility not only to keep prisoners safe we also have a public protection responsibility And if we want to fulfill that public protection responsibility, then we have to give people the support they need so that when they come out from prison, they're more likely uh, to be able to get a job, take care of their families. I I was really struck by a, a point that that Tracy made, which this isn't just about this isn't just about learning to read. Of course, that's incredibly important or doing UCSEs. It's also about learning the habits of work as well the habits of of existing outside, getting up in the morning, going to work every day, staying at work for the whole day rather than what we often see with prisons where they're unlocked for a couple of hours in the morning and maybe they get to work for a couple of hours in the afternoon as well. No one works a four hour day. And so we need to replicate as closely as possible the conditions that we see on the outside in order that prisoners really get into that habit and that sense of experience of, of what it's like to be involved in work. Because when people come out from prison, that critical few weeks, uh, when potentially things can go can go wrong, where they can uh, come out with lots of good intention and can slip up for whatever reason, to to have something in the tank when they come out, to have a job ready for them when they're able to when they come out, so that they can hit the ground running, is just critically important. Because if you lose prisoners in those first few weeks, then unfortunately, all too often you you find them back on the wing in 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 prison again. And, and just just to add one other thing, I think this staffing situation is also affecting uh, education providers as well. So they're struggling to find really good staff. And there is a bit of a vicious cycle here happening, too, because if you're a if you're an enthusiastic teacher and you go and get a job in a prison. And then you never know which prisoners are going to turn up. You never know if the regime's going to get cancelled, if there's going to be a lockdown that week, or or for whatever reason, uh, you don't get the people you're expecting. Well, it's incredibly demoralising. And I think one of the issues is that the job satisfaction for people who are working in education simply isn't there.
0: Look, look, thanks, Charlie. Lots to unpack there. I'll start with that that point about people working in education, Paul. What What do our inspectors... Uh, see when they go in and they talk to those teachers in prisons who are who are trying their best to deliver education in what sounds like difficult circumstances? Chris,
2: as Charlie has said, it's a very mixed economy that we find. So it is very demoralising when we see some teachers in prisons sitting in an empty classroom or workshop waiting for prisoners to arrive. And in honesty, in some cases, they never do. And there certainly isn't that continuity of student um, a- attendance. So I think staff morale is an issue. I think it takes a, a particular type of teacher to adapt to the prison regime, uh, to the, the the working of a prison. But where it is managed, Chris, where it's you know where it's managed well, where the regime is managed well and is prioritized, and importantly, where the curriculum does meet the needs. So, as Tracys talked about those wider skills, you know it's it can be incredibly powerful for a prisoner just to be out of their cell and in a classroom and not necessarily for the the subject content that they're attending, but for those wider skills, those interpersonal skills, problem solving skills, communication skills, uh, and and it does tremendous um, good for the individual and actually for the for the prison regime. But sadly, you know, they are the things that need to improve. They are the things that time and time again we aren't seeing and we're reporting in our reports.
0: Thanks Paul. Tr- Trace, I come to you. You see people, uh, once they leave prison and, and support them to get their life back on track, what would be your message to prison leadership and um, particularly about the importance of education for that?
4: I think it's incredibly important. We kind of have a bit of a saying um, in hearing that every day is a school day and whilst that doesn't sound terribly kind of monumental, what it does do is it shows a culture of learning And um, I think if prisons are able to embed an expectation of ongoing learning, lifelong learning, if you like, within people who are about to leave prison, I think that would be incredibly helpful. So uh, the whole attitude, if I don't know something, I can go and learn it. If I can't do something, I can find out how to do it rather than sort of uh, feeling a need to throw the towel in. And that's a cultural thing. It's a modelling thing. It's, It's a real clear leadership thing. So I think that needs to come from the top. I think it needs to be embedded and people need to be prepared to take that attitude out with them. So that even if they're not fully prepared for the outside world, they can see where their gaps are and be as prepared as quickly as possible.
0: And let's let's talk about some success stories if we can then. So Tracy, you must have worked with uh, worked with people who have who who have had a, a good and genuinely life-changing experience through through being in prison and through having that opportunity to be educated. You, to tell us something about how that how that then translates into the world outside.
4: Okay, there was um, one gentleman that comes to mind and i'll tell you this story because it's a little bit kind of left field too he got such brilliant education that he went out and immediately got a job but the education in a roundabout way really did change his life so um, as a gentleman i i know and work with quite closely he did 22 years uh, well, nearly 23 years in prison on a quite a revolving door kind of uh, kind of model if you like but during that time um he Learned uh, some chefing skills. And uh, when, when he first left prison for the last time, he uh, was in insecure housing, I believe, and um, had an unrecognised learning disability. But because he had learnt uh, those chefing skills, um, he was highly valued in the local soup kitchen. Whilst he was at the local soup kitchen, he met people who would go on, realise that he had a learning disability, support him to get formal recognition of that, support him to... get the social support that he needed and since that time that was 15 years ago actually and he has, has not re-offended but it really was it all stemmed from firstly the skills that he learned through um, the chefing skills um, but secondly the amount of confidence that actually knowing about something and being able to give something back the confidence that gave him w- was really life changing.
0: That That's great to hear and yeah we, we've spent a lot of this conversation talking about talking about some of the the problems and the issues. But the reason we're doing that is because, you know, it can, it can be genuinely life changing to have these experiences in prison. Femi, tell us a bit about how we can do more of that.
3: Um, When I was in prison, I was in a a BCAT local uh, for the duration of my short sentence, just five and a half months. Because of the, the quality and the enthusiasm, the educators, as we've heard about already, I was able to engage in a massive variety of different subjects, of different activities through education that I would never have considered previously uh, in my professional life or even in my private hobbies. Um, I was a, able to to try my hand at art and design, painting with uh, with different different materials. I was able to get get involved with improvised. Shakespeare acting, which again, I would never have thought about trying, Uh, philosophy courses, debating courses, creative writing, starting novels, poetry. Um, And also, quite importantly, I think, I was able to engage with higher education, which I'd never done on the outside. Even though I'd done professional qualifications, I'd never done higher education. And I was able to do a module of a criminology degree with the University of Westminster. Even though I haven't necessarily gone on to start painting or act with the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, what that did do, and those experiences did do, was enrich me as a person while I was in prison, broaden my horizons to think, oh, well, if I can do those things in prison, what can I achieve once I'm out? Uh, Give me that confidence, that belief, that self-belief that I can achieve things on the outside. And within less than a year, I was working for Prison Reform Trust, which I didn't think I would be doing. And within a year and a half, I was giving evidence before the Education Select Committee. And this is all because of the educators and the availability that they, they made things ready and available to, readily available to us. A simple way of, of promoting education is to value it the same as they value prison jobs. If you can earn more as, as a cleaner, a wind cleaner, than you will if you go into education, what is a prisoner going to choose in that situation? You're, you're gonna go for what offers you the most money. So if, if prison governors, um, which came out in the, the Education Select Committee's report, that prison governors have the power to set wages for education and work, if they take that lead and say, well, yeah, if you choose to do an education force, you'll get the same as uh, a wing cleaner or a surgery worker. That will encourage, at least encourage people to consider them on the same level. Um, and and they, that's, for me, just a simple way of valuing education um, within the prison system.
0: Look, thank, thank, you. thank you for sharing your story. It reminds us, doesn't it, that education is not just about you know, learning, Specific things—it's not just about passing exams, but it can genuinely change us as as people and can change our outlook on on life as well, and, and can you know, set set the direction for us. I want to pick up on Fermi's point, Charlie, about payment for um, educational activities versus versus the the jobs. Is that is have you seen examples of this being done well?
1: Yeah, we have, and some some governors, we some prisons we go to, the governor has, has prioritised that. And it's actually making sure that that prisoners who go to education uh, are, are earning at least the same amount as people doing other jobs. And of course, it is essential that that prison jobs get done. We want prisons to be clean. We want things like waste management to happen. And 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 you know, potentially, uh, prisoners can get into some good habits from those sorts of things too. Working in the laundry, working in the kitchens, working in the server serveries. Those are all those are all good things. But what we want is education to be similar. Uh, you know there's a lot of prisoners who've got very little money at all you've, you've got care leavers who end up in prison who really have got nobody they haven't got family sending cash in for them as some prisoners have and therefore every pound every penny counts for those people so of course they're going to take a job that pays better even if in the long term they're going to get further from 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 education than they will do from learning to clean the wing but but in the short term they're going to do what's what what's in their interests
4: yeah, I think perhaps um, we may need to get a, a little braver almost about uh, what we value because I think some of the things that are softer and more difficult to measure are as important as the things which are um, are quite easy to measure. I'm thinking about um, soft skills such as confidence, social skills distance travelled, that kind of thing. Um, and I think that could really help people if we value those soft skills um, as much as we value the really easy or the easy to measure things.
0: I mean, we've
2: heard a fantastic success story there with Femi with and we've all touched on the broader value of education. And I think one of the problems in the system at the moment, uh, and this is particularly for the education providers, there, there tends to be, in terms of contract management or provision management, a sort of counting by numbers. And that tends to be, Chris, the, the counting of qualifications that, that are achieved. Where I, I think we're hearing, um, and I would certainly endorse, it's the value of the curriculum. And it's, you know, does the curriculum do the right things even if that doesn't end up in a qualification.
1: I also think there's there's an issue here but w- with accountability and responsibility, and I think they don't sit in the same place, and, and that concerns me. So, so that governors are held to account for the quality of education in their jail, but they're not responsible for it. Responsibility for that is done through giant centrally commissioned contracts And I think it's a fantasy to believe that we're really going to be able to ultimately improve education in prison by turning the dials on on a big Whitehall contract. And I think allowing governors to have more responsibility for education that goes on in, in their prisons. And I understand there are potential pitfalls there as well. So I'm not suggesting this is a panacea, but making sure that there's real accountability and responsibility sitting closely together, I think, is the way that we can raise standards. And what I find often is is governors have got an education provider who isn't coming up to scratch for whatever reason, and they're incredibly frustrated because they want to get their prisoners to education, they want to make progress, but they're not able to do that. But similarly, I think for education providers, they get frustrated by the fact that, as I said before, they don't know who's going to show up and when, and therefore that's demotivating for them. So, So I think bringing together accountability and responsibility for outcomes in education would seem to me a way of of making progress. I mean, as a former head teacher, that that feels to me um, an an area where where potentially we can make real progress.
0: Absolutely, yeah. No one wants to be held to account for something that's outside of their control do they and 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 similarly as you said no one wants to be aiming to deliver a really good quality service but not having the engagement from the people on the receiving end so it certainly feels like some some join up and some structural uh, change could could certainly t- help in that regard
5: i was interested in the point around the softer skills actually being the most important and i guess the thing that's quite tricky with that is how do you measure that because like by definition they are softer softer skills. I was interested in thoughts from Tracy and maybe Paul on how the inspection framework can do that effectively.
4: I agree that it's quite difficult Um, however um, we also have uh, the double whammy really of the fact that people aren't always that self-aware so what they see in themselves may not be a true reflection of what other people see so, I think there is there's a lot of work to do about thinking um around distance traveled, and I suspect it's always going to be distance travelled rather than you've reached grade one empathy. it's It's going to be about observed and also people's own view of their own distance traveled.
2: Yeah, Tracy, just to come into that, i I would agree with uh, with that. I think measuring measuring distance traveled and measuring soft skill acquisition, you know is, is inherently difficult in any setting. Uh, I think Trini, to answer your question about the the inspection framework, I think our our framework prioritises those soft skills and that distance travelled. And the measurement we use, you know, very much is around inspectors' professional judgment based on that interaction with prisoners, with staff, and, you know, looking at what the provision is. You know so i think there's a there's a good measure there uh, a, a little anecdote so we we do perhaps encouragingly not so much now but historically we have been into prisons where the kpis for education around the number of certificates awarded has been quite good but actually when you look at the qualifications when you look at what those prisoners are actually doing in terms of their own development they're either fairly meaningless fairly pointless or too easy so the kpis have been achieved and despite and it picks up on charlie's point despite the 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 governor perhaps not being very pleased with the education provider's performance the education provider in terms of contract management is doing pretty well Uh, I assure you they don't come out that well in inspection terms because we do rate those personal skills. So it it is difficult measuring and contract management. But I absolutely echo Charlie's point about, you know, this is about systemic change. A a massive Whitehall contract, you know, is is not the way to allow individual governors to manage provision in their own establishments.
5: We've talked a bit about functional skills, and those can obviously be gained in different ways than sort of sitting in a classroom. And we've also talked a bit about work in prisons. And I guess I was interested in how how those two link together in practice in a prison. So to what extent working in a prison gives you some educational value and how those how those things are linked together by prison governors and overall.
2: Where that's done well in a prison. So where the the offer of education of workshops of regime is well suited is well considered it can be really really powerful so you will get some key things as Charlie has touched on in prisons that need to happen wing cleaning kitchen servery well you can actually build an education curriculum around there so you know courses around food hygiene food preparation and they can be a prerequisite before prisoners can get jobs in the kitchen and in the servery and where it's thought about that curriculum design it can be very powerful and in my view can actually help the the good order and good running of the prison and the prison regime
1: um, what we also see, which I think is excellent, is governors looking out over the wall and seeing what skills are lacking in the local community. Sure. And then thinking about, with the education provider, thinking about what are the qualifications that the, the prisoners will need in order that, that that they will be attracted to those employers when they come out. And prisoners buy into it then because they feel like there's a genuine sense that they're making progress. Just giving them a qualification for the sake of it it's nice to have a certificate, but they know that's not going to get them anywhere. They want something that's concrete that's going to move them
0: on. So thank you to all our guests. Thank you to Charlie Taylor, Paul Joyce, Tracy Hammond, Femi Laye Adekemi. I asked Amanda Spielman, Ofsted's Chief Inspector, what her thoughts were about the current state of education in prisons.
6: Prison education isn't in a good place at the moment, Our inspection findings say that at the moment, um, it's the worst it's been since we started looking at it. And when I talk about education here, I'm talking not just about numeracy and literacy in classrooms. I'm talking about the whole range of education, skills, training and work experience in, in both prisons and youth offending institutions. It really does need to improve. During the pandemic. Almost all prisoners were locked up for unacceptable amounts of time every day. And of course, as a result of this, prisoners had little or no access um, to education classes and vocational training. The regime of activities shrank and shrank. There, were, there was a bit of in-cell education with resource packs, but it was really a shadow of what it should have been. But what's particularly disappointing is that now, almost three years since that first lockdown, prisons have still not got back, even to what was normal before the pandemic, when it comes to education. The action to recover has been very slow overall, and that slow pace has been made worse by the very large number of vacancies, both among prison officers and among teaching staff in prisons. And It's important to understand here that that most, most of this is provided by one of the big MOJ subcontractors. But nevertheless, the people running prisons, the governors, the people managing education, need to understand what a good curriculum is and how to make sure that that's what they're getting from their subcontractors. Otherwise, they can't be effective in helping make sure it improves. But at the moment, too many prisons are just not providing enough activity spaces for their prisoners. An example of this slowness that I'm talking about relates to the the excellent report on teaching reading in prisons that we published jointly with the Prisons Inspectorate last year. Crucial issues like the need to assess prisoners and and identify their their reading level, what they needed to learn rapidly, These are only now being tackled 10 months after we published that review. It really is very slow progress with addressing those recommendations. Prison and governors do need to move faster. And my bottom line in the coming out of all our work, it really is important that all of us carry on emphasising the importance for everyone who works in prisons to understand true value of education in improving prisoners' lives and in maximising their chances of rehabilitation.